back to another edition of the Wits Up podcast. I am loving our new intro music. This is only the second episode that we've been running with the new intro and it gives me life. I sit here, it's... You can probably imagine I'm sitting here and I'm doing the drums. I'm getting a bit of the wicker wicker action going. Uh, what else have they got in the bass guitar? Oh, it's just got it's got everything that I need to get me pumped up to bring you another episode of the Wits Up podcast. So I hope you are enjoying it as well. Today we're catching up with the woman who I love to call Pew Pew because her last name sounds like a laser gun. Her name is Sarah Piampiano. Get it? Piampiano. Pew Pew. I know. You will never not call her that now. Uh, we had a great chat. I, it's, I think it's the longest uh, episode that we've ever recorded. And it's because we just kept getting uh, stuck down memory lane. I forgot how many stories uh, Pew Pew and I have together. So it was it was an absolute delight to catch up with Sarah once again, uh, talk shit, uh, but also get quite deep, especially towards the end of this episode as well. So I hope you enjoyed as much as I did recording it, uh, and we're going to dive straight into it now. None of the other nonsense. Let's just listen to pew pew. <laughs> I, I even warned you about the countdown and you still said, well... <laughs> It still surprised me. <laughs> are, you, are you are you the kind of person who doesn't like being scared or surprised? Oh, not at all. Like we were watching um, nineteen seventeen. Have you seen that movie? Nineteen seventeen. We were watching it two days ago. And Is that I the train it, one? No, it's like this. Oh. Uh, it's a World War One movie. But like oh. probably three quarters of the movie, I was plugging my ears and hiding my eyes. From the- <laughs> I was like, this is stressing me out. It's too stressful. Like, oh my God. It's causing me anxiety. It was. Oh my goodness. Okay. So have you seen, have you seen the videos of me scaring Frankie? <laughs> yeah. She thrives on it. It's insane. I know. It's so funny. I love it. I love it. It's it's great. I'm actually um, coaching her up uh, to be my roller coaster buddy because Breddy is not interested <laughs> yeah. whatsoever. I saw so. the video of you like simulating the roller coaster with her, and I was getting yeah. such a kick out of it. That was so great. And she like had her it helmet was- on. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so because I've seen it done before, it 100% was not my idea, but I don't, I've never seen, I've seen a lot of people do it like in a washing basket and I was going to do it. And then I saw the bike that's got her bike seat on it. I'm like, hang on, because then we can clip her in like she's actually on a roller coaster. Yeah. That was amazing. That was awesome. (laughs) But she seemed to love it. Oh, she had a bo- we, the one that we did before I actually started filming it. She loved it even more. She was quite subdued. Maybe she's just already immune to it. Nothing. It's just like, yeah, cool. I got this. <laughs> That's awesome. I want to try and simulate like a um a skydiving one somehow. I don't know. Oh put the TV God. on the ground or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh my God, that'd be awesome. Be I'm gonna really try good. and do it. <laughs> wow. Um, f- for those who are listening and are just like, what the hell is going on? I haven't even, haven't even introduced you. This is... <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. Sarah, it's literally like they're just like, oh, I think we've tuned into someone's private phone call conversation. <laughs> or, 
the technology has really gone off off charts and uh we're now just listening to random people's conversations (laughs) (laughs) i'm actually speaking to one of the top triathletes in our sport her name is sarah piano but on the (laughs) wits up platform you would definitely know her as pew pew That's true. <laughs> um, and actually, actually, you have your child now calling me Pew Pew, which I really so appreciate. And it's even cuter because hers is even like higher pitched than mine. I, like, know. <laughs> I know. So Steph sent me a video like, I don't know, a week or two ago, two weeks ago maybe, of, <laughs> of Frankie literally going Pew Pew, Pew Pew. <laughs> I was getting such a kick out of it. it I awesome. love it so much. Do you know that on uh, iPhones, maybe just the latest one, if you text to someone, pew, pew, P-E-W, P-E-W, it sets off a laser on their phone. No way. True story. <laughs> True story. Really? Do, yeah. Wait, have I, have you got a, I, have a, I have an iPhone 11. Hang on. I'm going to... Um. I don't know if I can text you from here. Text it to Mike or get Mike uh-huh. to text you. Just P-E-W, P-E-W and see what happens. We're going to wait here. P-E-W. Or you can text it to yourself, I think. What? Nothing. P-E-W, P-E-W, all one word? No, space. Oh, it did it. It did it. It did it. <laughs> Look, the laser. Oh, my God. There you go. Yes. It's it's like your official um, tag. So every time Whoa. you text someone, can you please just add pew pew to the end? <laughs> yes, that was amazing. Whoa! You, How did you, you discover that? I've no. I think I just saw it on Facebook, but I've no idea who shared it. But I was like, that's right up my alley. <laughs> I'm doing that's that. Amazing. Cool. <laughs> Um, so pew pew for yeah. the <laughs> listeners, if we, I think we're probably down to just two listeners now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you remember the first time we met? Melbourne. I am in Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, I was connected to you through Rachel Joyce cause she had stayed with you for some other race. I think I'm not sure what, but, um, she but I'm in Melbourne the year before. Oh, okay. Yeah. For Ironman. Yep. That's right. That's right. And, uh, you put me up, you were my homestay and you were really just launching what's up. I think you had, it had been going for about a year cause you had that one year anniversary mm. party at the time, Yep. but that's when we first met. And it's I, came, I remember showing, rocking up at your door and being like, I'm going to be one of the best triathletes one day. And you're like, okay, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so funny because Luke Bell had also given me a heads up. Like, I think he was the first one saying, do you mind if I – I think like he, him and Rachel both sort of said to me, can Sarah come and stay with you? Yeah. And, um, yeah, he was just like, yeah, she's enthusiastic. I was like, okay, cool, enthusiastic, <laughs> I can do. <laughs> I feel like I've t- t- toned down a little bit since then, but, uh, but I was definitely enthusiastic. <laughs> that was that was a crazy race though. That was the one where they shortened the swim. Um uh, Oh, that was the Corin one. And yes, it? she just like yeah. totally blew it out of the park. That was incredible. She had such a race there. Yeah. Is so I, I think it's fair to say that the swim isn't your strength. Is, is that a <laughs> <No>. <laughs> So 
When, you know, you've traveled all the way from the States uh, to Ironman Melbourne, which was, it was a massive race. Like it's, it was a, the Asia Pacific champs in a, yeah. well, it wasn't actually in the city, but Melbourne as a whole um, is, is a big place. So it, it was a big event, a big sporting capital. Uh, and then they've shortened the swim for, for good enough reasons. I still think though um, pros should do the swim. Maybe age groupers get a shortened um, edition. Um, but what, what do you remember what was going through your head? Like, were you disappointed that the swim was shortened? I'm always disappointed when the swim gets shortened or canceled because I feel like, particularly for me, even though it's an advantage for me, it's not, mm. um, it just doesn't end up being what we signed up for, right? So, yeah. um, I know that it helps me, but then I, it, if I end up doing well in that race, I walk away feeling like it wasn't necessarily a true reflection of what the race dynamic may have been otherwise. So I would rather go and finish first or third or sixth or eighth in a race with a full race than, um, you know, go and do really well with a shortened race or a canceled swim. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I want to go back to you crashing with us. Um, I find it, find it weird calling me a homestay (laughs) because I don't know. It just, it just feels weird now. Right. Um, I know. But Bretty absolutely fell in love with you because you were like, oh, yeah, I'll have dinner at 5.30 and I'll be in bed at 7. (laughs) (laughs) That's a true story. And I loved us cooking so much. And every night I'd be like, how did you make that? And I would, like, write down all the ingredients and the instructions. He's an incredible cook. So yeah, I was really uh, spoiled. That was amazing. (laughs) And I don't I think he, I would like eat dinner with Brett and then you like you would be eating dinner later. I don't even know what time you would eat dinner at. Yeah. And well, <laughs> that was also back in the day when I was like working ridiculous amounts, like working till midnight and then getting yeah. up again at 5 a.m. and just being an idiot basically. But yeah. I don't know. It's got us where we are. I had a bit of a meltdown after doing that for too long. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. I could not fathom that you were, like, in bed by – and I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> it was 7, 7.30, and jet lag had nothing to do with it. <laughs> it's true. True story. I will also <laughs> say one of the things I remember from that trip specifically is you uh, – one of the things you did is you interviewed – I think you tried to interview every single female pro on the start list – and yeah. then do a profile of them, which was a lot of work, but yeah. it was so impressive. And I just thought that the initiative that you took to do something like that and to have everybody get a little bit more of a glimpse of all of the athletes that were racing and what they were all about was really cool because that was we hadn't really seen much of that before. You know, they're always profiling the, the top athletes, but to get um, – a little bit more insight into all of the athletes in the race was awesome. And I've always remembered that because I just thought, I thought that was so great. Oh, thank you. It's certainly something that I want to circle back to a little bit because I think we've lost a little bit of that. Um, No, I mean, we try to do it in the big sort of um, uh, regional championships, but it it gets hard to be able to do every single um, athlete. But But it's important because when else, um, and I, I don't mean this in any offense, um, but the, but the lower tiered athletes, when do they get their their opportunity uh, for a platform? Um, not, totally. not very often. 
Yeah. No, really not very often. And, and also like, I just think it's interesting because, you know, every now and then you have somebody who comes in and they have a breakout race. And if there's a platform where somebody can go and actually learn a little bit about them, it's just, it's nice. Right. Because that, that is what happens, right? You have these Mm. athletes that sometimes come out of nowhere. Um, I mean, certainly in that race, Corinne, yeah, no one knew her. Nobody knew who she was. And, um, you know, just the fact that you had profiled her a little bit. I mean, it's just, it's just a little bit, right. But it, it, Mm. I don't know. It just was really nice. So. All right. Well, that's given me something to work towards again. Yeah. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you still um, do it though. You guys still do it. Like you said, in the big races, you still do it. And you do the Wahine Warriors at Kona and stuff like that, which also is incredible. So you still, you still rock it. Oh, thank you. I just, I, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I just I hear stories like that, and I just think, oh yeah, that's you know that just reminds me why we do what we do. Because every now and then, you I think you need you need just that little reminder. I don't yeah. know. Do you, do you feel like that sometimes with with pro racing, for example? Just sometimes you just need you know a kid to come up to you and sort of say, you know, you're my favorite athlete. Like just a couple of words can make a massive difference when you feel like you need that motivation or that inspiration for sure and also i think that um with anybody in any profession sometimes you don't really know what um what leaves an impression on people versus not Mm. and so i do think sometimes just hearing that from somebody i mean i literally will always remember the fact that you did that and being really impressed and so you may have just you know, continue, you know, continue down the path, but that really left an impression on me. So I think so. I think you're right. I think it is nice to sometimes hear those words from people. And well, speaking of leaving impressions on people, uh, yours uh, must have been shit. Was it your first or second year racing Busso when you? Mm-hmm. So my best mate Nick lives in in Perth in Western Australia, and Bustleton is about three hours south of Perth, where. Ironman Western Australia takes place and Pew Pew um, hung out with my best mate's eldest daughter when she did her very first triathlon. But when I say hang out, you you ran with her during the run, gave her her medal, um, got photos with her. Like it, it, she was absolutely blown away. Yeah, that was – it was really special actually. I really remember that moment and um, I don't know, I just – I like that what they do with all the kids stuff and actually going to Australia in particular where they, the kids literally do an actual triathlon versus in the United States. It's just, mm-hmm. I don't want to say just a fun run because that's a great thing that they're doing as well. But yeah. Um, so I was excited to be part of it because I was just so impressed that they were, you know, swimming, biking and running like that. That was very cool. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and actually, so you know what the nice thing is, is this, I, I, I think that maybe that was the last year that I raced Bustleton for a while. And then I came back and raced, um, uh, 2019. So this past December and yeah. it was so awesome to see them again. And, and yeah. then they waited for me. They had to go cause they had to get back yes. to Perth, and they literally waited for me at the finish line to watch me cross. And I was able to get a picture with them again and say hi and give them a hug and everything. And that was really special for me. And I, I think it, um, again, kind of goes back to this, I, this concept of making lasting impressions and connections with people that then extend for years. Um, yeah. It's so cool. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like, um, I mean, obviously the sport does it, but I feel like there's so much more opportunity to do that better in terms of um, providing legends and inspiring role models for kids. I, I just, I don't know, like I remember growing up and collecting baseball cards and, you know, things like that. And I just, I think it's just missing a little bit uh, in triathlon. For sure, it is. And I think, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I had uh, an agent who, um, she was a, she mostly represented athletes that were in um, Major League Baseball and uh, American football wow. and um, hockey and things like that. And she had never worked with a triathlete before. But one of the things that she was most blown away by was the fact that uh, she said, you know, in the NBA and the NHL and the NFL and things like that, the the those organizations are actively marketing the athletes and mm. actively, you know, creating these rivalries and pitting them against each other and creating all this hype around particular games and and things like that. And um, she was so surprised that there wasn't more of that done in um, in triathlon. And she felt like that was sort of a, she was a little disappointed to see that that wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that that's kind of part of it too, you know, like you're, what you're mm -hmm. talking about in terms of, you know, having the baseball cards or, you know, whatever. I just think that there's, there's just something, there's that l next level that's still missing within the sport. Um, but I'm hoping that actually with the, um, the launch of the PTO, that that's going to yeah. be something that, I mean, that's ultimately what our goal is, is to raise the profile of the athletes and of the sport and create a platform for it to become more mainstream. And so I'm really hopeful that, you know, we have this huge vision and I'm hopeful that that actually mm. will be something that eventually becomes a reality. Absolutely. Um, I've been having a chat with a few of the people behind the scenes there, in well, including yourself. And um, yeah, I'm super excited to see a few of their ideas roll out and I feel like that's that is the ultimate goal and I can I can see the pathway to that. It's so exciting because I just think that mm -hmm. um actually, you know, Charles Adamo who's the person who's who's he's really been the person that's led the charge for so long. Um but he I feel like there's been this vision and there's been this underlying level of desire from the athletes and, you know, level of sort of, I don't want to say dissatisfaction, but, um, you know, you've seen certain athletes that have, have made it, so to speak, like Jan and Daniela and whatever, but even those athletes relative to the big name athletes in other sports, like they're still not there, you know? And I, no. and they're like these, I mean, us as triathletes at the very top level are as good of athletes as anybody else in any other sport. And so, you know, to mm. even raise their profile, it's not just about raising their prof profile, it's about raising everybody's profile, but to be able to raise their profile more so that they can actually um, reap the rewards of all of the incredible work that they've put in and the, and you know, the barriers that they've broken down. I just, it's very exciting for me because I just think that it's, I think triathletes are really inspiring people, actually. And I think that oh. we have such incredible stories to tell that haven't been told yet and they really haven't been, um, like, the public hasn't seen. And, I, and I'm excited to see that, that there's maybe a opportunity for them 
those to be told. Absolutely. So great segue into storytelling. Let's <laughs> let's. <laughs> Are you going to tell an Austria story? <laughs> what? Oh my god! I forgot about Austria. Uh, <laughs> that was fun. We could get. We could get rumors flying um, about Austria for, for quite a few different reasons, one of which um, Sarah Piampiano and Steph Hansen slept with each other in Austria. <laughs> we did actually share a bed. <laughs> that was so weird, wasn't it? That was oh, weird. Man. That was weird. And also another funny thing in that I was going to bed at like 7 o'clock and you would just be like sitting there with your headphones on <laughs> in bed. <laughs> working on whatever it was you're working on and I just feel like asleep <laughs> oh that's so funny so just just quickly we rocked up to Ironman Austria um Pew Pew had said oh that I'll ask my homestay whether he's got space uh which he did and so I've rolled up I <laughs> think of. the day yeah <laughs> <laughs> He had space, um, what he meant was he had a bed and we could share it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but, okay, so from my point of view, like, I, it, doesn't, it didn't bother me. No, it um, didn't bother me either. I don't care. But, you know, because we're mates and everything. But I, what, what I found awkward with it was I was like, this is a pro athlete who, you know, like days leading <laughs> into race day, you know, things are, are – you know, they've got a particular routine, all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I've heard of some pro triathletes who don't even sleep in the same bed as their partner in the lead up to races in case they're sick, or, you know, or whatever. And I'm like, all of a sudden, I've she's got to share a bed. Like, she's being polite and has to share a bed with me who, you know, and I'm also a massive wriggler and a snorer. So I don't think I actually slept because I was so scared about waking you up. Oh, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> well oh man anyway and then Steph and I proceeded to go on a bike ride like the day after the race and somehow rode ourselves on to the Audubon <laughs> we got stopped by the police so so someone um had clearly driven past us and then dobbed us in had called the cops <laughs> and then because we got pulled over I think by then we'd actually got back off the motorway or the Audubon yeah yeah, and then they pulled us over, and we're just <laughs> so stupid. It was so funny. It's so funny. That's uh, what happens when you go searching for castles um, right. and having no idea where you're going. None. I have to um, I have to dredge up those photos. They've got to be somewhere on one, one oh, of yeah. my many hard drives. You yeah, should, yeah. Gonna... <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so we've got a great history, you and I. I'm just trying <laughs> to do some of the other stories. <laughs> I know. We have, we have some good uh, stories from Busso, actually, but we don't need to tell those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. How much would you take? How much would it cost for someone to – hang on. What am I trying to say? How much would it cost me to pay you to tell the story that you told me in Busso on this podcast? Oh, God. No way. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. No uh, with that one, that story, I'm afraid, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, uh, is, is remain remains in the vault forever. One of the <laughs> most embarrassing moments of my entire life, and I 
<laughs> I shared it with Steph. <laughs> so here's here's the key for um, investigative journalism: get an athlete <laughs> drunk the night after a full distance iron uh, iron distance, yes. uh, and then they will tell you any story. <laughs> True story. True story. Yeah. I don't believe you said off the record. Uh, so I've still I've still got that story in my back pocket on the off chance you piss me off one day and I can use it against you. Oh god. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, let's go let's go back. Um, I want to go back to before uh, you got into triathlon. Now a lot of people know this story, but I think there'd be quite a few listeners who who don't know it. Um, so we'll quickly talk about it if that's okay. Sure. Just how I got into triathlon. Yeah. So, well, I'll let you tell the story. I know it. I think I've told the story plenty of times, but why don't you give it to us in your own words? Sure. Um, so I used to work in finance. I, I worked in investment banking doing mergers and acquisitions and I was working crazy hours and, um, I had been an athlete in college, but once I started working in, in banking, that just like totally went out the door. So I hadn't worked out in years and had actually taken up a sm- pretty bad smoking habit. Um, and when you say bad, I was smoking. Some days I'd be smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, which is a lot. <laughs> I like can't even <laughs> fathom that anymore. Actually, like it's so gross and disgusting, but uh, and expensive and expensive i don't even know how much cigarettes are these days but when i was smoking back back in the day they were in new york city uh like nine or ten dollars a pack so yeah, it's like right. twenty dollars of cigarettes every day it's a lot yep a lot uh, a lot gross anyway <laughs> um so in 2009 i was out at a bar one night with a friend of mine from uh from university and we were drinking and I was smoking and whatever. And he said he had signed up for a triathlon. And um, one, th- one thing led to another. And we ended up betting who could beat the other person at the triathlon. And so uh, we went and we did it. It was an Olympic distance race. And um, I literally smoked a cigarette on the way to the race, actually, <laughs> race morning. <laughs> I didn't do anything to prepare. I didn't train. There was no, there was like no preparation whatsoever for me for this uh, for this event i just rocked up and did it but it was a life-changing moment for me i had such an incredible experience i had been a, a very elite athlete when i was younger i was an elite runner and um it just got all of the competitive juices flowing and i was reminded of how much i really loved um competing and doing something healthy for myself and the adrenaline rush and the you know, the high that you get afterwards for having done something um, competitive. And pretty much I stopped smoking on the spot. I, I definitely smoked a, a, a bit here and there afterwards. But for the most part, I pretty much like cold turkey just quit smoking. And wow, from the race, bought a bike and started doing triathlons. And, and I ended up going and doing another triathlon that year in 2009 and winning it. And that was sort of the the motivation that I had to see what I was capable of within the sport. And um, so then the next year, I feel like 2010 was my first year really doing triathlon, but um, I started training and I ended up hiring my coach, uh, Matt Dixon, who is still my coach to this day. 
And uh, wow, that's almost unheard there. of. That's I know. A long time. I know. It's really amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's crazy, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. feel like I feel like Matt and I could never break up now because it would just be this really traumatic experience for both of us. Yeah, <laughs> that would be like a proper a proper breakup if that it happened. Would be. <laughs> I know. I know. But, you know, I, I actually just generally in life, I believe in longevity of relationships. And I spoke to mm. quite a few coaches before I ended up working with Matt. And um, I feel like I was quite careful um, with selecting the person that I wanted to work with. And I'm glad that he and I still are working together. I think there's a, a lot to be said for when you are with a coach for so long, they definitely are know you as an athlete really well. So. For sure. So um, give me the names of the coaches and why you don't like them. <laughs> I'm joking. <Yeah>. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when you, when you start into triathlon and you are a two-pack-a-day smoker and then you just start triathlon and training, what? how do you not cough up a lung or was it pretty painful and disgusting for a little while? It was pretty painful and disgusting. And, and actually, no <laughs> joke, I could feel my lungs getting like increasingly better and more clear. And I did a lot of research actually even at the time. And they said that within <clears> – <throat> I don't remember what it was, but it, like, I looked at oh, how long I'd been smoking for and how much I smoked or whatever. And they essentially said within a year, um, you could your lungs would totally regenerate and be clear. But I could wow. – like as I was working out and started training on a regular basis, I could progressively feel my lungs improving. And I'm sure part of that was just becoming more fit, but I'm also sure a big part of that was just my lungs clearing out. Wow. I would, I would dream about smoking for months. Like I would have these dreams that I would just be smoking yeah. a cigarette and so happy. Uh, <laughs> I just I, – because I, I can't – I cannot wrap my head around smoking because I've, ne I've never tried cigarettes. Um, but how do you get past – I don't even I don't even know what we're talking about, it, but I just – I find it fascinating. How do you get past, I imagine, the initial – disgustingness of starting smoking well you know the whole reason i started to smoke was actually because i can't stand the smell of cigarette smoke and i found <laughs> i am not kidding you i hate it it's Makes so sense. disgusting and the only way yeah. i was able to tolerate it was to, to actually smoke a cigarette myself and i learned that in college actually because i would be out at parties in college and people would be smoking and so i would I would smoke a cigarette here and there in college, even though I was an athlete in college, but I, I did it. Um, and I, I learned then that the only way I was able to tolerate, <coughs> uh, tolerate the smell was to actually smoke myself. Um, so <laughs> I love that logic. <laughs> I, I know. I know. <laughs> it's like, I hate cigarette smoke. So I'll just smoke one. <laughs> <It'll be Yeah. laughs> um, oh, shit. So, yeah, I don't know. That's that's how it all started, actually. Just hate wow. it, the smell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you were running at what sort of level are we talking about when you were uh, back at school or college? What what level running are we talking about? Um, when I was in in high school, I was a nationally ranked runner. So there's a a, a big race here, which I think is now called 
like Nike cross or something like that, but it used to be called the foot lockers and it was this big national race and you had to qualify for it. And I <clears throat> was, and I ran the foot lockers. So I was a really wonderful, great runner growing up as a kid. Um, and then when I got to college, I was super, I was really burned out. So I did run in college, but I, I was more interested honestly in partying and just enjoying my college experience than I was in competing. So um, I, I definitely, and then after college, I just had to take a big break <clears throat> and it was only when I started doing triathlon again that I kind of came back to it and re-fell in love with running. Right. And back in college, you were studying obviously business of some sort. Yeah. I, so I, I initially wanted to uh, become an orthopedic surgeon. That was sort of what I was geared oh. for. So I was um, going down the pre-med route and uh, I was majoring in biology and taking all the courses and then um, actually kind of quickly realized that that wasn't really the direction I wanted to go. Um, and the Why? school, um, well, I had to take this course called organic chemistry and I just hated it so much. And yeah, right. I just like, I, right then and there, I was like, well, I just don't want to become a doctor anymore. I don't know. I just hated <laughs> the course. And that was what, what turned me off from being a doctor. What What's the difference between regular chemistry I and don't organic? I no, which is probably why <laughs> I just decided it's, it's, to become a doctor. It's wrapped up. It's wrapped up in almond milk, the organic version of chemistry. I don't even know the answer to that. I love it. So that's, I mean, honestly, like it was the hardest class I took in for me in school. And I just like, I didn't understand it. And I knew that you had to understand it to become a doctor. And I just, that was it. It was over. So, but, but the school yeah. I went to, they made, they, for your graduation, they make you take, um, certain classes in other uh subjects so like you have to take a psychology class and you have to take an economics class and you have to take a bunch of these classes and i took economics and i really loved it and that was how i ended up sort of transitioning more down the business route right so finished college yep. uni college i just get confused what the different terms are right. different i usually here. say university because i know that's kind of like a generally globally accepted term, but sometimes I forget and say college. Okay. But they're the same, same, right? They're the same, same. Yeah. Okay. So this is in Maine? In Maine. Yes. Where I grew up. So it's Maine is- On the East is... Coast of the United States for anybody that doesn't know. <laughs> I was about to say, on the East Coast, north of New York? North of New York, north of Boston, yes. if anybody knows where Boston yep. is. Uh, yep. It's like the most Northern state on the eastern part of the United States. And is known for lobster. Lobster. Yep. Right. <laughs> lobster. Lobster. <laughs> yep. That's right. Maybe so, for lobster. <laughs> are, are, you, are you saying lobster the way that I say it or is no, that how you that, meant to I say just, it up there? So people it's you would say it lobster, but in Maine with a Maine accent you say lobster. Which is quite close to the Aussie accent, the Aussie yeah, way of saying yeah, it, lobster. It's not, it's not that not that different. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know if you were taking the piss out of no, my I accent. I was I was <laughs> making fun of myself and my main roots. <laughs> okay. So 
you're from uh, from Maine, and then uh, you finished business one hundred and one, <laughs> your yeah. university degree. Yeah. Then, then do you move straight to New York, or what, what happens after that? <laughs> no, I um, I ended up moving out to San Francisco after I graduated, and um, I just <laughs> wanted to be in San Francisco. I didn't really know why. I didn't have a good reason. I didn't definitely didn't have a job, and my parents said we will pay your rent for two months. And if you don't have a job and can't support yourself under t- after two months, like that's it, you're done. Oh. And so I moved out to San Francisco. I drove across, packed my car, drove across country. Uh, How long does that take? With an Australian, actually. It was oh. a friend of mine who was from Australia and we drove across country together. Um, How long did it take? I don't know. Maybe a week. I don't really remember. Yeah, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I got out there and I just started pretty much pounding the pavement. I was doing, trying to like make money on the side while I looked for, uh, like a more permanent job. So I was doing babysitting and doing just like a whole bunch of random stuff. But, um, I guess I went out there in September and I got a job in November working at a, a finance company, just doing in yeah. human resources. I was the head of the head of human resources, I was her administrative assistant. And I, for me, I, that's that I just wanted to get my foot in the door. And I was like, if I can get my foot in the door, I can, you know, make my way to do what I want to do. And so I um, started working for her. And within a month, I ended up getting a job offer within that same firm working um, on the trading floor, which is, you know, what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> so this actually doesn't surprise me because I can imagine your, I don't want to say calculated. Um, I mean this in a positive, uh, by the way, it just <laughs> isn't coming out of my mouth very well. But I mean, like like you just said, you're, you're like, I've just got to get a job. As soon as I get my foot in the door, I know I can get to where I need to be. And I fully believe that. I feel like that that's a good way to sum up the way that you approach quite a few things in your life particularly triathlon is that is that fair very much so i mean i'm yeah i don't know i i don't i'm not somebody who says well if i can't have xyz job that i'm just gonna do you know nothing like i'm always a believer in um like you have to start somewhere and that's gonna lead to other opportunities and other things yeah sorry um frankie and brady just Making a grand um, entrance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pay me attention. Um, sorry, I did just lose my train of thought, but essentially um, a foot in the door can lead you to anything. So you weren't um, waiting for the dream job, you know, as soon as you left university. No, I mean, I, I like feel like, I mean, obviously I know that there are athletes in triathlon, for example, that just show up and they are like superstars instantaneously. But for mm-hmm. most of us, that's just not how life works, right? You have to yeah. just, you know, plug away and take your opportunities where you can. And for me, when I was getting out of college, it was like I knew I wanted to work in finance and I just needed to get my foot in the door somewhere. And I knew if I got my foot my foot in the door, I could prove how hard of a worker I was and how diligent I was and that 
that would lead to other opportunities. So I just like, honestly, I would have been like the janitor practically, you know, like I just needed yeah. to get a job somewhere with some firm and that, that is what happened and it worked out very well. And do you feel like that has helped you that sort of, um, business savviness um, and hardworking and foot in the door type of mentality has helped you in terms of garnering sponsorship in triathlon? A hundred percent. I mean, when I, so when I um, decided that I wanted to start racing professionally, at least um, I built a whole website. I mean, I just said, okay, I need to be as professional as possible. It's the only way I'm going to distinguish myself. So I spent a lot of time working on a website that I felt like um, reflected me and my personality, but also was uh, very professional looking and showed that I cared. I wrote cover letters to every single sponsor that I was interested in working with. I did this like four page athlete profile with pictures and descriptions and all this stuff which has evolved actually. And I, I actually still use it today, but it, it looks different now because it's, you know, it's just been a while, but, um, and when I, and so what I ended up doing was I, um, I first emailed those, I went and I got the names of the people who worked in marketing and I emailed everything to them. And then I printed the cover letter mm-hmm. out and I printed the, um, the athlete profile out on glossy paper, like really nice, printer paper and I put them in manila envelopes and I sent them to them. And then when I went to Kona that year, I hand delivered another set of cover letters and the athlete profiles to all the brands that I was interested in working with. And that included Cliff Bar and Cervello and Sockney and Shimano, which are all brands that I, well, I'm not with Cervello anymore, but um, Cliff Bar yeah. and Sakri and Shimano are my, you know, three of my biggest sponsors and they're the brands that I'm with even still today. So um, wow. I do feel like that. I feel, I felt like it really helped me from like, um, I just had a good business sense and a mm. sense of how to distinguish yourself um, from the rest of the, the people that are also looking for sponsorships. And, and actually a lot of them said to me, uh, I remember I also got an offer from Newton. Um, I don't know if you remember the, yeah. or familiar those shoes or not. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and they said that the, the reason that they're, they were giving me an offer is because of how I conducted, how professional I was and how I conducted myself. And clearly I was taking it very seriously. So yeah. no, I wasn't just rocking up and say, Hey, sponsor me. You know, it was, there was yeah. a lot of like, t- like thought and energy that went into that. And every cover letter yeah. I wrote, I outlined specifically why I wanted to work with that brand, what I liked about, you know, you know, what I liked about the products that I used and what I could offer to them and bring to the table. Yeah. So good. Cause like even just that simple thing of finding out the name of the marketing manager or whatever role it was is so different to just jumping on a website and doing the, you know, just hitting the contact us here, you know, like that is chalk and cheese, but it's a, it seems like a small detail to find out that person's name, but it is actually a a big advantage, but it's a, feather in your cap for doing that I think and I don't think many people have done it in the past or still still not doing it now to be honest yeah no I I mean I think um 
I mean, there's, I think the unfortunate thing about triathlon is, like I said, I mean, I don't think that there's, um, the top athletes are potentially rewarded in the way that I would love to see them rewarded because they're really mm -hmm. incredibly talented people. But I think on the uh, flip side of things, I think a lot of, a lot of athletes come into this sport trying to be professionals and thinking that they just, because they're a professional athlete, deserve to be handed stuff, you know? Yeah. Like they deserve these yep. sponsorships. And I don't think that there's a good level of understanding of what really needs to go into mm. being a sponsored athlete. So I definitely think that, I don't know. I, I definitely think mm -hmm. that people just are, I think there's a lot of people that expect a lot at, just because they say, oh, I'm a pro athlete. And that frustrates me for sure. Oh, definitely. Mate, I've had people send me emails at WhatsApp asking yeah. if we could sponsor them. Like, really? Do you, do you actually know what we do? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, you're do like, you know you're like, anything I about need us? a sponsor too, please. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, so interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I want to get away from triathlon again. I'm sure we'll come sure. back to it, but yeah. I want to. I want to go back um, to. Did you grow up in Maine? Your whole family there? Yeah, born and raised. My parents still live there, and I, I have two brothers. Both of them are older, um, and my oldest brother lives there with his family. Still, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so what was growing up like? What, where, because you obviously had the competitive edge um, when you were younger in, in running and then lost that to partying and smoking. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you excelled at smoking by the sound of things. So good on you. Like, go hard or go home. <laughs> you just um, told me I excelled you at smoking. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Anyway, <laughs> that's going to be that when when I decide to come up with the title of this episode, I'm just going to say Sarah Pew Pew Piano um, excelled at smoking. That's going to be the title. <laughs> um, I like to try and come up with funny titles. I definitely won't use that. But um, anyway, uh, so two brothers. I imagine there's a fair amount of competitiveness that comes from having two brothers. I am that person, except I was in the middle of my brothers. You're the you're the youngest. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's where this the competitive streak comes from, or how much influence is from your from your parents or grandparents even? Um, I think there's a couple things that have come into play. My um, my mom's a pretty ardent feminist, and um, very strong she's an incredibly strong woman uh, she was like one of the first hundred female lawyers in maine and she's just wow brilliant and independent and always been a free thinker and always when when i was growing up always instilled in me that as a female i could always do what any male could do and so i think <clears throat> that was sort of um one of the um, inf big influences in my life. And actually with that came, um, I don't want to say pressure from her at all because but she was just always encouraging me to be better because she thought that I could be on this level playing field with any of the boys or the men that I was, um, surrounding myself with, whether it was academically or professionally or athletically or anything like that. And so, 
you know, when I was growing up, I would go and do um, these running races and it wasn't like comparing myself to the other girls in the race. It was, you know, where I was stacking up against the men. So, you know, I think that was a big um, factor. Definitely having two older brothers was a big factor. Um, I emulated them. I just wanted to hang out with them all the time. And the only way that they would ever really allow me to play with them as if I was either I had to be able to do whatever it was they were doing as well as they were they could do it like I needed to be able to hang or mm. I just needed to like protect myself meaning you know they'd be like we'll play with you but we're gonna play karate and then I would just get like <laughs> karate chopped in the face or we'll play with you but we're gonna hang you by this tree and leave you so I just had to like have this really <laughs> tough skin um where I just, I had to be really resilient, you know? And like, if I cried that just like, it was like all bets were off. They didn't want anything to do with that. So I think I learned from a really young age just to like constantly pick myself up and keep going because that was, you know, how I was going to be able to play my brothers. And then I also had my mom in my ear being like, you can do what these boys are doing. Just keep, you know, keep trying, keep fighting, like don't take no for an answer and like be really independent and you don't need men in your life and whatever. So I just think that those were kind of the big things. Yeah, right. Do you ever remember a moment where you felt like your brothers protected you at any stage? Growing up? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I mean, I actually have a, a pretty vivid memory of, um, oh, well, I have two. I have a couple, but I I have a very vivid memory when I was younger. There was this thing called the Bronco Buster Challenge, which was, um, there was this like triple black diamond uh, ski trail at the mountain that we skied at. And it was just notorious for being a sheet of ice and really, really steep and really hard to get down. And every year they had the Bronco Buster Challenge where they, you had to go, if you went top to bottom without stopping, you uh, would win like a three-day ski pass. And I remember when I was, I started skiing when I was two years old. And so I remember being either three or four and wanting to do the Bronco Buster Challenge. And my brother's taking me and being in like a wedge and like just going all the way across one side of the slope and then coming across the other side of the slope and one went in front of me and one, one went behind me and I went top to bottom without stopping as a three-year-old and ended up getting this three-day wow. pass just being super feeling super satisfied and my brother's just being there completely looking after me and I, I'll never forget that moment um I don't know why but it's just something that's always huh. in my head and then also I just think um both of my brothers are quite a bit older than me. One's nine years older and the other one's six years older. And so right. I definitely felt like as a kid growing up, they had this bond between them and I was always just kind of tagging along. But I do feel like as I've gotten older, um, <laughs> my brothers look out for me all the time now. You know, they yeah. are just there for me no matter what. And I feel like, as a family, we've really bonded and they just, I don't know, even from like one of my brothers flew out for literally less than 24 hours a couple years ago, just so that he could see my race in Kona. And as soon as the race ended, he like went to the airport and got on a plane and flew back to 
Colorado where he lives. And he just, and he, wow. he got there like 11 o'clock the night before the race, just so that he could see me race. And I don't know. It's, it's pretty cool. I feel, I feel very lucky to have them. Yeah, that's unreal. Yeah. Because as I was asking you the question about, because uh, I felt like we had very similar growing up, I had to compete with my brothers just so that I could play with them. But I, well, I guess I never really saw it as competing, I don't, I don't think. I was just, I was usually the ringleader. I was the bossiest. I was the one saying to them who could, yeah. <laughs> who could play football and who couldn't. Yeah. Um, but I, I never saw it any differently which i figure like when you're racing you know when you're doing your cross-country races or, or whatever it might be at school you weren't necessarily racing the girls you were just like well i'm so used to you know hanging out with my brothers and competing with them that it's this is just about racing the fastest people not whether they're boy or girl that's how i felt is that same with you totally 100 percent. yeah um yeah and even now i mean I mean, there's clear physiological differences between, you know, women and men. And I accept that, unfortunately. But, like, mm. I get a lot of satisfaction from, you know, beating all the men, male age groupers, right? Like, I think that mm. it's I, – I still, like, compare myself to men. And, and, you know, there are so many amazingly talented women in the sport, which is incredible – but I think it's mm. – and even just, like, seeing, for example, I mean, some of the performances that, that Danielle has put up and seeing how she stacks up against the men's field, I mean, it's just – it's believe, unbelievable. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely definitely feel like I've taken on the men that mentality. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. What about your dad? What do you – what kind of role did he play? So it's really interesting because my mom, as I mentioned – is uh, quite a brilliant woman. And she is one of those people who she, she actually, both she and my dad were lawyers. Um, they're both retired now, what? but my mom was, she like, she was brilliant. And so she could, you know, read a, read some sort of brief or whatever, what else she was doing really quickly. And she could like crank out the work and whatever. And my dad, on the other hand, was also an incredibly successful lawyer they both were were very successful what they did but he was a grinder like he I don't think he was kind of like me like I don't think that he necessarily was the smartest lawyer he wasn't necessarily you know the person that was going to pick up on all the concepts the easiest but he worked so hard and he always just was really methodical and always got the work done no matter how long it took him and it always took him longer than it would take my mom, but he just like would sit down and he would do it and he never got frustrated. And he just, he was a grinder and he was so, and I mean, he was so good at what he did, but in a very different way mm -hmm. than my mom was. And I feel like what I learned from my dad too is this ability to take what you're given and just maximize it you know, and not feel like because you're not the smartest or because you're not the fastest, that doesn't mean that you can't be equally as successful. Yeah. So when you're, so obviously it's, it's much easier to look back at your childhood and recognize those things in your parents. Now, you know, as you're an adult, you can, you know, your perceptions are changes and you can t let all that sink in. But when you're growing 
up, do you remember what you thought about them then? Yeah. Or was it the same? No, I, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I definitely, my whole life, my mom has definitely been like, a, you don't need men. Like, you could be just as good as them. So, like, that's something I very much remember, you know, throughout my whole life mm. with my mother. Um, but I agree, like, your perception is different when you're older. But when I was growing up, um, my mom was very nurturing. Um, she was the one who would, you know, tuck me in and cuddle with me every night and read me a book. And, you know, if I was crying, she'd like wipe the tears away or, you know, whatever. And my dad is quite stoic and not super emotional and was right. always like, well, pick yourself up and keep going. You know, like he just, like, <laughs> he was always really yeah. patient, but he wasn't, um, like my mom was always the one that was hugging me and nurturing me. And my dad was much less um, emotive in terms of uh, just feelings and giving hugs or anything like that. Um, so it's very like different dynamic between, um, between my parents. Yeah. What kind of parent do you hope to be? And uh, sorry, I need to preface this as well by saying, <laughs> I, well, no, I need to, because, you know, we, we've had discussions about yeah. you wanting a family eventually. So I'm not, this is, because that, that might be quite a, an offensive question to no. ask someone who, <laughs> yeah. so I need, I, I need to let people know that, uh, you know, I, I know you quite well. So yeah, yeah. yeah this no. isn't come out of, <laughs> yeah, out of the blue. <laughs> um, uh, that's a really good question. I don't know. I, I, uh, I really, I got you. I, you really I got you. did. You really <laughs> did. I mean, I, I like really, really, really admire um, the message that my mom taught me from a young age to not be, you know, essentially not let gender come into play and just be the best that can be yeah. and sort of like not, not just settle. Um, and, I really value my dad's stoicism. I think yeah. that that has come into play in my life in such a significant way in terms of my willingness just to put my head down and work really hard and, and um, believe in myself. So I think I want to be a parent, I guess, that um, I, I, I would say that Sorry, I'm just formulating all these thoughts as I talk to you, but um, I like it. One of the thing I don't want to be a helicopter parent, um, meaning I don't want to be a parent that just like hovers over my kids and like I don't know monitors their every move. When I was younger, from a very young age, from literally from probably like the time I could walk, my parents would open the door and be like, "Okay, we'll see you at dinner," and you know, I would just be like <laughs> roaming free in the woods and, you know, free to my imagination. I had like a BB gun at age three. You know, I just yeah. like definitely was encouraged to be this really independent thinker and independent in my actions and everything like that. And I want to be that kind of parent as well. I want to be a parent that encourages my kids to roam free and create their own destiny and take risks and encourage failure um, and 
I want to like my biggest probably lesson that I want my kids to take away is that you have one life and you need to maximize it. That's what I would say. So I don't want to be a parent that is just like managing every single thing with my kid. I'm sure yeah. it's harder said than done for sure. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to experience that hopefully one day, but, but that would probably be like my ideal thing is just to encourage independent free thinking people who like never give up. I do love it. And I think, and like you say, easy, easier said than done, of course. Um, and I like to think that that's the direction I want to take with Frankie and we're trying to take with Frankie. Um, but I, I think the hardest part is trying to find that um, that balance of allowing them to, to roam and, um, you know, f physically, emotionally, everything, like to do their own thing, but then also like that overwhelming sense of um, being their protector is su it's such a strong urge to dilute a little bit to allow them to do their own thing. It's yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's an interesting learning experience for sure. And I'm sure, like when they fall down and hurt themselves, it's like you want to be loving, but then also like they need to go through that experience of falling down and hurting themselves to learn. You know, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I imagine it's going to be a very challenging, challenging thing. And the other thing is that, like, oh. I just know that I also like to control everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I think being a parent uh. will be challenged. You know, it's like I want my kids to be independent, but I want to control that. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like, I think it's going to be a really hard thing for me. Luckily, my husband is like told totally calls me out on all my bullshit all the time. So I think he'll be like a really good um, balance to my type A overanal personality. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's so many lessons that your kid will teach you that you can't even comprehend. I'm sure. Right now. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Like, I bet you like, I mean, I feel like you have evolved as a person so much since you've had Frankie, I think that she's probably taught ah. so much, you know, just in what, in what respect do you think? Uh, I mean, I think because you Steph, <laughs> have a tendency yeah. to go, 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 which you still, still do. But I think Frankie, it's like, you have this other like little being in your life now that you have to look after and guide and think about and make sure she's fed and, you know, whatever. And I think it for actually forces you to slow down a little bit and yeah, just like take a step back sometimes. De definitely. I think is really important. Definitely. And I think the most surprising thing from that for me is um, that I want to, so it's not just forcing me to, I actually want, want to do that. Um, so it's, it's not so much of, oh shit, I've got to feed, I've got to stop and feed Frankie. It's no, I want to slow down and actually spend time with her and getting that last photo or interview or whatever just isn't as important as spending time with her is, which that's what's really surprised me. Yeah, for sure. I think. And I, yeah. and and I think too like you just said it's like that you want to, right? Like and I've yeah. heard this from other like I remember having a conversation with Caroline Stefan and uh Hamburg and she was like I just like want to be with Xander 
you know, mm. what I, and she said like how much more efficient she was with her training because she had this other being that she, that was just, I don't know. Her, her heart was just like overflowing with love and she just wanted to be with Xander all the time. And so it just like changed uh, her approach to a lot of the things that she did in her life to make that time and room for her son, which I think is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it, it definitely took me by surprise. The first, the first night that I spent away from Frankie was Noosa Triathlon last year, and she would have been about 16 months old. Um, hadn't spent a night away from her until then. And uh, I just, I couldn't take her with me to Noosa. Yeah. I, ha- I really had to be in Noosa and I just couldn't afford a babysitter. I needed someone to be with her so much because Noosa is just crazy. Um, and yeah, I c- cried, uh, bawled my <laughs> eyes out on the flight. Just, it was horrendous. I hated it, uh, hated it. But, um, you know, it was probably good for me as well to, you know, step away for a little bit. Um, but yeah, like that, you know, it just just taken me by absolute surprise just how much I dig hanging out with her. Yeah. She's unreal. She's so much fun. She is. She's awesome. She is so much fun. I can vouch for that. Both Mike and I, like, <laughs> lo- well, we, like loved hanging out with her. I was getting such a kick out of her yeah. when we – actually, when we were in Busso, and it was the morning after the race, and we were just at the cafe um, having breakfast. Yeah. And she – there was, like, you know, whatever that cinder – the cinder block thing that – essentially where you park it's like the thing that your bumper pretty much hits and she, oh yeah we were so yeah. entertained for about an hour just like crawling over that thing <laughs> and then crawling <laughs> over the other side and then crawling over it. and i was so entertained just watching her be entertained it was really cool so <laughs> she definitely gets that from me i'm i'm very easily entertained <laughs> as is she yeah um, can I, um, and I know, let me know if you need to go because it's probably way past your bedtime. <laughs> it's only 5.20. <laughs> Dinner is a Well, break. we're getting close. Yeah. <laughs> True. I actually um, stayed up until 11 o'clock last night. I'll have you know. But that was oh under, that was like a serious arm twisting from my husband. So even during the shelter in place and like where I don't have to get up at a specific time, I am very adamant that we go to bed by eight thirty or nine, and we get up every morning by six or six thirty. And he's like, "Why? Why, Sarah? Like, there's no need." And so last night he was like, "We are staying up and we are watching a movie, and you are not going to bed." And I was like, "Okay." What movie did you watch? We watched Nineteen Seventeen, the movie that I was stressing. Oh, that's about. right. Yeah. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> no, that was a test to make yeah, sure you yeah. weren't lying earlier. <laughs> I expect a report on the movie on my desk by tomorrow morning. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but can I, and please, if uh, this is getting too personal or whatever, then just tell me to pull my head in. But I feel like you, um, I love the way that you look at uh, decisions in terms of, you know, being a professional triathlete, learning from your from uh, working um, in the in the finance industry and everything. I I really appreciate the way that you look at um, decisions from very many different angles. 
Um, and I guess right now with the world that we're living in at the moment, as a professional triathlete, you you don't know when you're going to be racing again. Uh, unfortunately, uh, everything's up in the air. Um, you you know you've said publicly that you're towards the end of your career. Um, you potentially want a family. How how is this affecting those kind of decisions right now? And how are you how are you dealing with it? Uh, it's actually been quite stressful to be honest. Um, yes, is the answer. Like, yes, we want a family and yes, uh, I am approaching the end of my career. Um, and you know, I think that when we were looking at our timeline, my husband and I, uh, we, I'm, I'm going to be 40 in July. Uh, we actually even went to, uh, high risk specialist earlier this year and had a conversation with her and I had my egg quality tested and all this stuff. And, and I'm in quite good shape, I guess. But, um, she did say, she right. said, you know, every year that you wait, it's like the chance of having an issue with your pregnancy or having something wrong with a child just increases dramatically. And so if you want to have multiple kids, like you really need to get on it. So, you know, our plan had really been for me to race um, for race for this year and then try to start having a family. But with everything that's going on, um, it's honestly just like we're completely reevaluating the mm. situation. And, you know, we've been asking the question, so should we try to get pregnant now and have a kid in theory, like if I could get pregnant really quickly? I could have the baby by like the start of next year and then come back and race next year. But that wasn't yeah. really what our plan was. And so, or yeah. are we going to race? You know, I already have my Kona qualification. Is that going to happen? I, there's just so many questions coming into play and I, and I don't think that we really know what the right answer is. And, and not only that, but like, I feel a commitment to my sponsors um, from a professional level and, and they're all supportive of this idea of starting a family. But, you know, if there's races that come in, I want to make sure that I'm representing them well. So I don't know. We don't, we don't really know what the answer is, but it's been, to be honest, it seems like the perfect time to be trying mm. to get pregnant and trying to have a family. And, um, but there's just a lot of what ifs and uncertainty. Like I definitely sort of wish they would just say, we're canceling the season because it would definitely answer a lot of questions for us. Um, so mm. uh, we're still talking about it and trying to figure it out. Um, I think it would be, I guess I, one of the other things I'm struggling with is if, you know, if, what do I do next year then? Right. Like if I, if we don't race this year, I can't just like race another year and then try to have a kid after that. Cause I think it's just really pushing the, timeline a little bit mm. too much so we either need to decide that this is the last year no matter what and then try to have a kid next year or we need to decide we're going to have a kid this year and then i'm going to race next year so i don't know there's a lot of questions a lot of uncertainty a lot of uh what ifs i kind of wish that i had gotten pregnant in like january or something like that <laughs> because yeah. then i'd like already yeah. be four months pregnant and you know, it wouldn't be like that big a deal, but whatever, like we weren't, 
you know, we weren't trying. I wasn't really yeah. the plan at that point. So anyway, that's sort of where we're at. Yeah. It's, it's complicated. And I definitely think that my age uh, comes into play, right? Because I think if I was a younger athlete, I could just say, okay, well, we'll do it. And then I'll come back and I'll have this many years to race or whatever. But it's also trying to like coincide with sort of what's going to happen with the end of my career. So. Yeah. It's a tough one. I, I feel for you. And I, uh, one of the, the biggest frustrating things is that, uh, and this is no disrespect to male pro triathletes, but it's certainly something that really doesn't factor into their decision making. Um, obviously, yep. If they have a child, it will change their lifestyle to an extent, but not to the extent of a female pro. Oh, for sure. And it's, you know, I mean, we have talked about this before, Steph, but like one of the things that mm. I, one of the other things that like I really struggle with right now is just um, this frustration actually literally around my age because I had mm. the best year of my career last year. I'm just like, have this renewed love and excitement over what I'm doing. I don't actually really want to be done with triathlon, um, but there's just this family factor that comes into play and what my husband and I want mm. from for our future and our future family. And so there's like a huge amount of frustration around the fact that I'm like pretty much being forced to decide between family and career at this point. Right. Um, yeah. Which like is something that, I mean, it, men just don't have to deal with that. And it's, and, and I definitely want a family. Like I don't feel frustrated about the, you know, wanting to have a family. It's more this frustration that I literally mm. am having to make this pretty much think about ending a career that I still feel so strongly about and passionate about and feel like I have more to give um, of myself. I still feel like I have more performances in me than what I've shown yeah and and like you said we've discussed this and at the um uh, at the end of busso last year you had one of your top performances there um and, you know and you're still improving you still got more to give but um yeah unfortunately there is a timeline of sorts uh, there's no two ways around it totally totally so mm. i mean i'm jealous of mm. somebody like crowy who how old is he? Like 46? You know, he's got a couple kids. I think he's, but, yeah, yeah. You know, he's, <laughs> yeah. He's still got a career going. Um, it's still racing. And again, I mean, there's nothing to say that I couldn't have a kid and come back, but my, my husband and I want to have a few, a couple children. And so, you know, then that comes into play. So it's, it's hard. It's challenging. You know, I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to figure it out. Yeah. Anybody has the answer? Let me know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just drop her an email at Sarah at – I don't know if I should be giving out your email address. Um, but, yeah, and but I think the the, the, the key to that is uh, there is no one answer. There's uh, – there just isn't, unfortunately. Every, every person's um, situation is completely different. And, no, you know, I guess it's good to talk about it and to, you know, get it out of your own head or yours and Mike's head. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's down to down to you two and what you guys come up with. For sure. And, you know, I mean, like the cool thing is, actually, 
I feel like this trend sort of started with um, Beth McKenzie when she had win and she was, mm. there were other athletes like Gina Crawford, I think had had children and come back, but yep. um, I, I have just been honestly so inspired and, and like, I just look at like Meredith and Beth and Rachel Joyce cause she came back and Caroline and yeah. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting some women, but I mean, the, the women that have had children and come back to perform at the levels that they have performed at, I mean, it is so cool. I mean, they, I feel like mm. they are set also setting a new standard for like what is possible, which is, I don't, yeah. I don't think before you would have really seen that many women have children and then try to come back into the sport. Jackie Herring's another one. She's had a couple kids and she's better than yeah. ever right now. She's incredible. So it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I think the thing is, uh, I actually remember doing an article about this years ago and it was when Mary Beth was wanting to have a kid. Um, and I know that she struggled for a little while, um, to get, to get pregnant and then eventually had Sydney and she retired from the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, and I think it, I think it might've been Charlotte Paul who she had said she wanted to have a kid and come back, but then she had um, their child of, I think, he, oh, God, what's his name? Mac, maybe. I can't remember. I think it's Mac. Um, she was just like, no, I'm done. Like, I actually don't want to come back anymore. And that threw her a massive surprise because she had every intention of, of coming back into the sport. So I don't know. Like I figure um, there's there's definitely plans and what people want to do, but then – like you know kids are kind of game changers uh you just this they're unpredictable life is unpredictable once a kid's thrown into the mix I felt that for sure yeah and that's the thing is I feel like the way that I'm approaching it is with the intention that when Mike and I are start trying to have children like I'm going to be done and that's mostly because I just have no mm-hmm. expectation my ex I don't have any expectation of how I'm going to feel you know and yeah. Like there's definitely like Michelle Vesterby, for example. I mean, she was like very clear that she was coming back, but like you said, it's like you, you just yeah. don't actually really know until you've had the kid, how you're going to feel. So I don't know, I guess maybe mm-hmm. there could be like a scenario where I had children and then came back, but I'm going in with the expectation that that's not going to happen. And I don't, it like scares me a little bit, you know, like I, I feel like already I have such limited time to give to, mm my husband and my friends and, and so on and so forth because of the time that commitment that's required to do what we do. And then you bring a kid into it. I also feel like I, one of the things that really stresses me out if I did decide to come back is this idea of like, you know, right now I'm full in on triathlon. Like how do you be full in on your kid and your relationship with your Mm. partner or husband or whatever, and also be full on with your, like how do you like still achieve what you want to achieve in the sport? Mm. And there are like, again, I mean, women are just impressing me left or right. Like clearly they're able to do it because there's these women that are coming back and they're performing better than ever. But it scares me in terms of what my, how that's all going to go. Like, I think it's like a really stressful thing to consider. Even you, right. I mean, like, like you are just like totally crushing it. 
but you're also trying to balance like being a mom and a wife and like run wits up and it's yeah. it's it's super well, but hard i imagine like i it would be it's intimidating yeah i've had plenty of meltdowns yeah <laughs> yeah i well i actually got to the point where i started talk, talking a little bit more about my meltdowns on social media and through the wits up platform because I don't know. I felt like things were looking too rosy and I like, I just never wanted people to think, not that I wanted to share doom and gloom type of thing, but I just wanted to let people know that um, it, at whatever stage they're in, there's other people out there who are experiencing the same things and it's okay to feel like that. Um, Cause yeah, like I, I remember I flew to Gold Coast for the launch of uh, the 2020, I think it was, um, Giant and Live Bikes. So I flew there with a bike and Frankie all by myself. Um, Yeah, it was crazy. And then it was last minute and nothing could get locked in because there was so much going on. And I was like, I just just need to know whether to meet at 10 o'clock or 1 o'clock because that completely changes my day and how I get someone to watch Frankie or whether right. I, you know, and I, there was just so many things, you know, add travel to a kid and it just, there's just travels, you know, stressful enough as it is, but with a kid as well. Um, and I just, I sat in the hotel room, Frankie was asleep in, in the bathroom because that's where she sleeps in the porticot yeah. <laughs> in the bathroom. <laughs> and I jumped online just to sort of talk, to people about it and just sobbed throughout the entire thing. Um, And then one of my friends who was up there as well, she like spoke to me later and she's just like, I I feel awful. I was across the hallway just thinking everything was fine. I had no idea. And I don't know. So anyway, my point of sort of telling that story was I just got to a point where I was like, I want, I don't know, I want to share my feelings because I feel like there's other people out there who are probably going through very similar things um, and they could just be in their own house feeling very isolated and alone. Um, and that's my way of sort of reaching out to people and saying that that you're not and it's okay to be upset or um, stressed or exhausted. Or feeling um, like you're failing I don't know, or I... whatever, yeah. And I do agree. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like yeah. people make, I, 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 again, I, I mean, I know it's hard. And I know, but I feel like on social media, people make it feel like it's so easy. Like, oh, I just rode a hundred miles and now I'm like taking care of my kid and, you know, whatever. And I don't think it's like (laughs) as easy as they make it out to be. I mean, I don't know because I'm not a mother, but, you know, I do appreciate actually the honesty around the struggle because it, I want, I would, I want to hear that because I'm freaking so intimidated like i it's it's very intimidating (laughs) it's very impressive and very intimidating so yeah like and i I feel like it sets you up to feel like you're failing if you see like everybody else posting like they have their shit totally together and you feel like you're just like barely hanging on you know so i like the real talk and understanding what what the real life is all about yeah yeah well i'll keep yeah I'll keep, keep bringing the keep, real talk. Keep bringing the real talk. <laughs> when I become a mom, I'm going to call you and be like, Steph, <laughs> But seriously, though, the amount of connections I made with people, very, especially early on, who just sort of stepped in 
maybe because they were up at two o'clock in the morning feeding their new newborn as well and just chatting like the the mother's network is freaking insane from across the globe and i'm talking you know like I, i've got good relationships with pro athletes but they they became a lot stronger when i became a mum, and i used them as resources as well like we didn't talk about triathlon at all. I'd be talking to Caroline about, oh, what did you do when this happened? And do I give her Panadol? Or, you know, it just, I don't know. It, it's a, it's a really interesting, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So anyway, my, <laughs> you call me any time. Actually, if you call me in the middle of the night, your yeah. time, it's <laughs> quite a good time here. So I'm up for it. Let's have a chat. Okay, sounds good. Uh, <laughs> Um, now, speaking of chatting, we have been chatting for a very long time. Yep. I apologize. Uh, I think this is the longest um, episode we've ever recorded. So once again, excelling at everything. Awesome. Great. Hopefully you'll edit some of that down. <laughs> nah, I don't have time for editing. Oh. So it's raw and real. All right. Well, sounds good. I'm off for it. <laughs> um Pew Pew, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to catch up. It was great to catch up and actually relive some of our stories. I did forget how much time we've actually spent with each other. I know, I know. And we, like, think about, remember when we had breakfast in New York? That was another, I mean, that was just breakfast, but we've seen each other in a lot of places. Yeah, I actually had that circled on there and then I was like, oh no, we haven't had time to go back to it. But yes, we arrived in New York for over like the Christmas New Year yeah. period. You happened to be there for what, 36 hours or something? Yep, yep. My my yeah. best friend was having surgery and I flew in to be with her and we just happened to align our schedules. It was awesome. It was so good and it was a good coffee, that coffee place that you took us to yeah. as well. Um <laughs> But it was it was really cool because we had arrived the night before quite late. Yes, yes. No, I rated it. Um, but also, I guess we were jet lagged and had arrived with no luggage and <laughs> like we're still in the same clothes that we travelled in. Great. So I think any coffee would have been good. Um, but it was nice to catch up there for sure. Yeah, it was awesome. Anyway, yeah, we'll do it we again. Will. Uh, Thanks for that. You go and eat and go to bed. Um, thank you so much and uh, keep us posted on all the things. <laughs> I will keep you posted on all the things. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, my friend. You take care. Say hi to Mike for I me. I will. You too. Catch you later. <laughs>